So anyway, we're, uh, we're back to the back, back of the book of Matthew today, which we're, we're going to be in Matthew for a while. Um, so, so settle it. Not a while today, not saying that, not saying it's going to be super long today, but just we'll be several you know, months maybe into Matthew. So settle in because um, we'll be there for a while. We've been up to this point. So uh, Pastor Brent preached chapter one. I'm going to go through the entirety of chapter two, but then we're going to slow down here kind of at a snail's pace, you know, for a while as, as we get through Matthew. It's not necessarily going to be uh, a chapter a week, but we're looking forward to it because there's some really uh, great things uh, in Matthew. So last week, Pastor Brent gave us the genealogy uh, of Jesus going all the way back to Abraham, right? Abraham's kind of a central character in the Bible. And we got the, the genealogy, and he went, went through all the names and all of those kinds of things. And then we saw the birth of Jesus. And then today, uh, I'm going to turn some Christmas carols up on their head today. So just be forewarned that uh, maybe some of your favorite Christmas carols are going to be debunked uh, today. Um, now, but as we get into chapter 2, we're going to look at the visit of the wise men and the flight to Egypt and Herod and, and all of these kinds of things. And so... Uh, the first 12 verses, uh, we look at uh, Herod and the Wise Men, which as I wrote that down, I thought, man, what a killer band name that would be if you have like an indie band, Herod and the Wise Men. But the first 12 verses uh, say this of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, is, where, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly... Um, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen where it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we'll pause there for a moment. And so, so we see this scene, right? We left off in chapter 1 at the birth of Jesus. And then we see this scene as we open chapter 2 uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You're, you're going to see a pattern kind of unfold in these different scenes that we look at through chapter 2 uh, of uh, calling our attention back to prophecy, things that were said in the past, right? In, in the Old Testament times of foretelling of these things happening, Right, so, so chapter 1, Matthew works hard to show us the lineage of Jesus, right? the, the family tree of Jesus going to Abraham. At the end of chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, he calls our attention to these different prophecies, right? showing us more a spiritual lineage of Jesus, that, that these things were prophesied in the past, and now before uh, our very eyes, they're coming to fruition. And so we see this scene that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judah, and we are given this time period that it was in the days of Herod the king. And it's important that we see this, this contrast of Herod the king at the time of the birth of the king of the Jews, right? Con contrasting kings. 
And, and so Bethlehem was not, not a great city. It wasn't Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, like if you're going to Israel, Jerusalem was the place to go. It's kind of like if you're coming to central Oregon, right, people, people land typically where? In, in Bend, right? That, that's kind of the hub of activity where all the commerce is, all the fun things to do, or most of the fun things to do are typically in Bend. So people stop there, but, but maybe they've never heard of, you know, Lapine, for example, or maybe they haven't heard of Prineville or, or some of these outer-lying areas. Bethlehem was one of these outer-lying areas that, that probably, unless you lived there, you probably weren't familiar with it. And so we see that, that uh, Herod had heard Right, that, that the king of the Jews was born. He had heard uh, that it had happened. He had heard what had went down. And so he has this encounter with these wise men. And here's where one of your Christmas carols or maybe several Christmas carols might get debunked here. These wise men, tradition tells us that, that they were kings, but we don't have anything in Scripture really to, to show us that they were actually kings. Right? You can figure out which Christmas carol that might uh, possibly debunk. Not saying definitively, just possibly. So, so they were wise men, they were magi. We get our word magician from this word magi, right? It, it's more likely that, that these were kind of scientists of their day, astrologers of their day that studied the stars, right? Um, it's possible that they might have been kings. I, I don't know, but, but again, tradition tells us that. Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us that. Um, tradition tells us that there were three of them, but, but we're not told in Scripture that there were three of them. It's more likely that, that these guys traveled probably with some sort of an entourage. Don't know how big it might have been, but they probably had you know more than just the three of them. We maybe ascertained that they, because they gave three gifts that maybe maybe there were three of them. Um, and again, this you know maybe doesn't matter all that much. I just find it kind of interesting, right, that, that we draw these conclusions. Um, but but probably uh, an entourage uh, more so than just three of them. And so these magi, these wise men, uh, they showed up. They came from the east. They saw a star uh, that, that led them. And so, of course, they naturally went to Jerusalem, right, the hub of activity. Herod heard that they were around, and so he um, gets an audience with these guys and basically asks them, hey, what's the deal? What, what have you heard? Where, where are you going? Why are you here? He questions them. But the reason that he questions them is what, what I find interesting in verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard about this, when he heard about the birth of Jesus, he heard about these, these magi coming to visit him, he was troubled. And not only was Herod troubled, but it says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Think about as an Old Testament Jew, as an Old Testament Israelite, like your hope was that one day the Messiah would come. Israel was, was an oppressed people. Their whole, they have a whole history of being oppressed. seems like throughout biblical history, they're always under somebody's thumb or often under somebody's thumb. And the hope that, that you had as an Israelite, as an ethnic Israelite, was that one day the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come and kind of make all the wrong things right. He's going to fix all these things. He's going to put an end to our oppression. And so, so then you get to where we're at now and you hear that, the king of the Jews has been born, right? The king of the Jews is, is a baby. The Messiah is a baby. The Messiah, the one who's going to fix everything, shows up on scene as the most feeble and meek thing imaginable, a baby. And you hear, Herod hears this, that, that the king of the Jews had been born, and he's troubled by it. Why is Herod troubled? Herod is troubled because there's a threat to him. This baby, this weak and feeble baby, is a threat to Herod. 
It's a threat to his kingdom. But then we're told that all of Jerusalem, along with Herod, was troubled. And I just don't understand. Why is all Jerusalem troubled by this? Why are all the other ethnic Israelites in Jerusalem troubled to hear that their Messiah has arrived on scene? Right? There's obviously a disconnect in their understanding. And it's possible that part of why Matthew is writing his gospel account and calling our attention to prophecy as we go through this, having already called our, our attention to the lineage of Jesus, that he's working to establish that this is the king that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that has been prophesied. And so Herod heard this and he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And it says that he assembled all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So the chief priests were all the religious people. The scribes were all of the, kind of the legal people. Maybe the lawyers of the day, the people that paid attention to the law. Right, so we've got, got the religious group and the, and the legal group, and he assembled them together, and he inquired of them, what's going on here? Right? Remember, he's troubled. What's going on here? Where is this Christ to be born? And, and they told him, the scribes and the chief priests called Herod's attention to prophecy in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And we're not told in Matthew's gospel which prophet wrote this, but we know that this is the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah prophesied, says that you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Bethlehem, the place that nobody pays attention to, right? The, kind of the red-headed stepchild of Jerusalem, we might say. The prophet Micah, years and years before, prophesied that a leader or the leader would come from there who would ultimately shepherd the people of Israel. Now, if you're an ethnic Israelite, and if, you, if you're believing all this to be true, this should be of great comfort to the ethnic Israelite, not, not troublesome. But it's troublesome to Herod because it's a threat against his kingdom, and for some reason it's troublesome to all of Jerusalem, probably because they're looking to Herod as their king and as their ruler and, and ultimately as their shepherd. It's possible that, that maybe the reason this was troubling to Jerusalem is that their hope was in politics. We can relate to that in our day, can't we? Our, our world's a mess. Our country is a, is a mess politically. And, and it's becoming more and more poor. I mean, just the polarization of even the last few years is astounding to me. That, that we can't get along across aisles. It just doesn't seem, and it doesn't seem that there's much hope that we're going to recover our ability to kind of reach across the aisle and, and figure some things out, right? And that's disconcerting. It's disheartening. It's frustrating. So for some of us, it causes us to lay awake at night thinking about these things. But we've got to be reminded that as Christians, ultimately our hope doesn't lie in politics. I hope our politics gets figured out. I really do. But if it doesn't, the sky isn't falling. Our hope as Christians lies ultimately in, in the person of the work of Jesus Christ, not, not who sits in the big chair in our state, not who sits in the big chair in our country. I have thoughts about that, and I, and I have hopes that, that elections will go certain ways, and, and I'm sure you do too. But, but ultimately, we don't lay awake at night tossing and turning, worrying about those things because we know that, that God is sovereign over all and that everything is a means towards the end for which he already has in mind, Amen. right? And so, in a sense, it doesn't matter who sits in what chair. And I'm not saying as Christians that we need to disengage from that. I'm not saying that at all, right? We ought to pay attention. We ought to pray for our leaders, 
that we ought to be involved in, in, in the politics of our state and our country and, and those kinds of things. But ultimately, our hope isn't how those things go. And as we read here that, that not only was Herod troubled, we understand why he's troubled because there's a threat to his rule that another king would, would be on the scene, even if at this point that king is a baby. But all of Jerusalem was troubled, I might suspect, because they had a hope in the politics of their day, just like we have a hope in the politics of our day. And so Matthew calls our attention to the prophecy that came from the prophet Micah, that, that the shepherd of God's people would come from Bethlehem. And so, so not only have we established a lineage as, as a pretty big, maybe that's the border around the puzzle, right? The lineage of Jesus from chapter 1. Well, now we're starting to fill in the center pieces of the puzzle with, with this first prophecy that the shepherd of Israel would come from this out-of-the-way place, Bethlehem. And isn't that just like Jesus, to come from an out-of-the-way place rather than Jerusalem? Right? That's just like Jesus, because Jesus... Jesus cares for the people that, that maybe oftentimes the world would overlook. And so we see this prophecy. And so Herod hears this from the scribes and from the chief priests. And so then it says in verse 7 that he summoned the wise men, or these magi, and he secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he's questioning them, well, when did you see this? And where, where did you see it rise? And, and, and all these things. And so he starts to figure some things out. And he tells them, based on this prophecy from Micah that he was reminded of by the scribes and the chief priests, he says, okay, go to Bethlehem, search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, let me know so that I might come and worship him too. And we, we, we know that this is a ruse, right? We, Herod's kingship is being threatened, right? We already know this, and so we know that he's not being honest with these wise men. They don't necessarily know it at this point. But he's in support of their mission, so to speak, for a nefarious purpose. <laughs> after listening to the king, we're told that they went on their way in verse 9, and, and this star that they had seen had somehow guided them, right? So, so they're following this star, these astrologers, these, these magi, and the star came to rest over a place, and they took that to mean that this was the place that they were searching for. And so they show up there, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here you have Herod at, at the news of, of the birth of the king of the Jews. He's troubled. All of Jerusalem is troubled. These wise men who aren't even from this place, like they're foreigners, they're outsiders, they show up to the place where Jesus is born, and it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The, the, these magi, they're not even ethnic Israelites. So there's a sense in which they don't necessarily have some skin in this game. They don't have a dog in this fight. Like the king of the Jews has been born, not, not the king of the foreigners at this. I mean, we, we know that you know, Jesus came for everybody, right? But these foreigners, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And they went into the house and they saw the child with Mary and they fell down and they worshipped him. Foreigners of all people. It says they opened their treasures and they offered gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Expensive gifts. Right? We could spend some time talking about what these mean, but, but expensive gifts, extravagant gifts that they gave to a baby, that they had traveled a great distance. We're not even exactly sure where they came from, but they could have traveled as, as far as a thousand miles, some theologians would say. And that's not like, like you can get in a car and you can drive a thousand miles in a couple of days. If you're hardcore, you, know, you can press on through, but these, these people were on foot. 
right? Even a few hundred miles, let alone a thousand miles like that, that's a journey. And no doubt that came at great cost to them and, and, and even sacrificed to journey that far. And they finally get to their destination and they fall down and they worship Jesus. They give their treasures to him. They give their gifts, extravagant gifts to this baby. We, we, we can take something from the fact that, that foreigners showed up on scene and, and worshipped God. And I, and I think just in knowing that, we have maybe a little bit of foretelling, whether this is intentional or unintentional on the part of Matthew, some foretelling that, that Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. Right? He's also the king of the Gentile, right? the, the non-ethnic Israelites. And so we see that foreshadowed here. And then we're told in verse 12 that... that these wise men, this magi, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So somehow God is speaking to them through dreams, and so they went home another way. And so you can imagine that there might come a point where Herod starts to think about, I wonder where these guys are. <laughs> they should have been back by now. wonder what's going on. Right? These are the days that like, they probably didn't send a message to Herod saying, you know, we're going home, you know, forget about you. They just left and went home from what we can tell. Then we get to verse 13, and it says this. It says, Now when they had departed, speaking of the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt, I call my son. So scene two. Scene one, we got Herod and the wise men. Scene two, the, the Magi had, had gone back home, and then God came to Joseph in a dream, just like he came to the Magi in a dream. He came to Joseph in a dream, and he tells him, go to Egypt. And you, you think about Joseph's reaction. Like Egypt, right, Egypt is kind of a central place in Old Testament history, and it wasn't a good experience for the Israelites at all. Terrible experience. They, they were under a thumb in Egypt for a long time, right? And, and they fled Egypt in bad circumstances, right? God delivered them mightily uh, out of Egypt. And so all these years later, here's Jesus is born, right? The king of the Jews is born. The, the Magi came and they worshiped him. They gave him gifts. And then God comes to Joseph in a dream and says, go to Egypt, and, and we don't know what Joseph's reaction was, but he probably questioned, like, did I hear that right? You said Egypt, right? Yeah, yes, Egypt. Go to Egypt and stay there. Like, not just go there, but stay there for a while. This place that, that was central to your people's history, and it wasn't good. I want you to go there and hide out for a while. Stay there for a while because Herod, he's so troubled by this that he's on the warpath against a baby. Imagine that. Herod is on the warpath against a baby. It says he's about to search for Jesus to destroy him. He's about to search for the king of the Jews. That's such a threat to his kingship that he's out to destroy a baby. Now, if somebody were to do that today, like we, we would, it doesn't matter what your politics are, we'd like, that's not good. Right? We would condemn that if, if that were to happen today. I hope we would condemn that if it were to happen today. Right, we have a war going on in our world right now where we see atrocities on the news that, that are largely condemned, right? This, this, is, this is a condemnable offense. 
that God is telling Joseph, take your family and go, go to Egypt and hang out there, and I'll, I'll tell you when the coast is clear. And again, this was to fulfill a prophecy. Now, we're not told uh, directly by Matthew, but this comes from the prophet Hosea. It says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by Hosea. Out of Egypt I will call my son. And so we get kind of a glimpse of, okay, they're going to Egypt, which seems bad, but they're coming back. Out of Egypt I called my son, right? So, so in this prophecy, we know, okay, the story, like we, we have the whole story. This, as it's happening for them, this is in real time, right? This prophecy should give comfort that out of Egypt I called my son, that, that they're going to survive their time in Egypt. And so scene one, we, we get this, this piece of the puzzle from the prophet Micah. Scene two, as they're to go on the run, we get another piece of the puzzle inside the borders, inside the frame from the prophet Hosea. Then as we get into verse 16, it says that then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He became furious and he sent and he killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So, so this might debunk maybe another Christmas carol or two in this. Herod goes on the rampage, Trying, trying to destroy the baby king of the Jews. So much so that, that he just gives an order to destroy all of the male babies in the region that are two years and under. So, so it had taken some time for the Magi to make their way to Jesus. This wasn't right at the birth of Jesus, right? So, so that maybe challenges uh, some of our Christmas carols as well. So any male child under two years old, just the order was given to, to kill them. Horrible. Right? I, we would call this a war crime today. I don't know if that was a thing back then, but we would call this a war crime today if that were to happen. But this is in fulfillment, again, of another prophecy. And we're told that this is from the prophet Jeremiah. So, so we're, we're, we're hitting you know, some, some kind of big name prophets here from the Old Testament. And we're told that as Rachel weeps for her children that she refused to be comforted. Right? We can take from this, like th this is the breaking of God's heart in this, and it should break our hearts too that this thing even happened, right? That, that babies were killed because somebody's authority and rule was under threat. And so we see Herod from, from the very outset of receiving this news, he's just enraged, right? And he's a madman kind of going off the rails at this point, giving this order to kill babies, or anybody, toddlers and babies under two years old. And, and somehow people went along with it, right? They, they obeyed the orders of the king like it happened. It happened. But what we have here too is a shadow, and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it isn't the main thrust of the text, but, but we have a shadow here that, that's worth pointing out. We have a shadow kind of pointing us back to the Passover, right? Remember, remember that story in the Old Testament, the story of the Passover? There was a king that was enraged there as well and was coming for babies. And the cool part of that story is that God delivered his people. He delivered his people from this atrocity. And so we have this kind of shadow 
of that story where Joseph and his family are going back to Egypt because they're under, their baby's under threat, right? And, and, and we know the story, like I said, God, God's going to bring him out of Egypt. God brought his people out of Egypt back in Exodus. He delivered his people in a mighty way. He, he led them out of Egypt, right? So, so just don't, don't miss connecting those dots of, of just that, that shadow of a connection uh, back to the Passover. Then in verse 16, it says that when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, so, so he knew, he became furious and he said, I read that part, sorry, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and he took the child's mother and went out to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so just like in the Exodus, God delivered his people out of Israel, he comes to Joseph in a dream, and he says, okay, it's time to go home now. It's safe. And he speaks to Joseph, and so Joseph and his mother went back home, out of Egypt. Right? They, they made the, the exodus of their family out of Egypt, certainly under different circumstances than the exodus of the Israelites way back when. But nonetheless, they made their exodus out of Egypt and into Israel. And we, we find out that, that Herod's son, Archelaus, is now in power, which maybe was a little more comforting than Herod being in power, but maybe not a whole lot more comforting than Herod being in power. And so, so Joseph was afraid. So as they go back to Israel, right, they don't go to Jerusalem, but they went to the district of Galilee. And it says that he lived in a city called Nazareth. Right? One, one, of the, one of the monikers of Jesus is what? Jesus of Nazareth, right? Because that's where he lived. That's where he grew up. He, he was born in Bethlehem in this out-of-the-way place. He grew up in Nazareth, and we're not directed to a specific Old Testament prophecy in this, but we're told about what was spoken by the prophets, right, that it might be fulfilled. Nazareth was known as a place, uh, like one of Jesus' disciples made the comment, like, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Nazareth was kind of ghetto, right? If the Bible had a ghetto, it would be Nazareth. And Jesus, or Joseph and Mary, at God's direction, right, they, they go back to Israel and it would make sense that they might land in Jerusalem. They might land in the hub of activity where there are resources, right? Where, where there is access to all the things that they need. But they were fearful, and so they wound up in Nazareth by God's providence. And again, just like Jesus being born in Bethlehem in this out-of-the-way place, not, not in the, the known city, but in this out-of-the-way place, Right? In, in God's sovereignty, they wound up in Nazareth, that Jesus would kind of live in, in the ghetto. The king of the Jews right, would, would live and be from the ghetto, this out-of-the-way place. Um, not only is it that people didn't generally care about, but, but it wasn't liked either. Right? I grew up in a small town. I grew up in Prineville. Some of you know where that is. And, and Prineville, like we were always kind of the stepchild of Ben. Maybe Lapine was, was a similar place to grow up. Right, if you're not bend, right, you, it's, you, know, you get kind of a bad rap. 
right? That, that's the place I grew up in. Maybe some of you who might be from around here uh, can relate to that. Well, this is the place where Jesus grew up in, was in Nazareth. Again, we see, I think, God's heart for the marginalized, God's heart for uh, choosing to be among people that maybe the world wouldn't choose to be among. And we see throughout Jesus' life that, that he gravitated towards the people that maybe you and I might not gravitate towards. Right? He gravitated to the, to the rough people in society, the marginalized people in society. Long before, I mean, Jesus loves everybody, right? Not saying that, that he would disassociate with a group, but some of the harshest things that Jesus had to say were for the religious people of his day as he was spending time with the irreligious people of his day. Right, and so we see these four scenes unfold in Matthew chapter 2, and all of it Matthew is connecting to things that were previously revealed through the prophets. Right, again, giving us this kind of spiritual lineage of Jesus. But it's worth calling our attention all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 for this. this Matthew doesn't call this out, but I want to make this connection. Right, God had created everything. We, we know this. We, I talk about this a lot. Right? God created everything. Created humanity as kind of the pinnacle of creation. Creation rebelled against its creator. Sin entered the world through human rebellion against God. Right? And in Genesis chapter 3, God himself tells us that the serpent will strike the heel of the woman, but the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Right? That's, that's taken by almost everybody as a prophecy of Jesus. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, prophesying that this king of the Jews, like one day, is going to come from this woman, the king of the Jews, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Matthew chapters 1 and 2, those wheels are in motion. Is what, I mean, they've been in motion since Genesis chapter 3, but, but we kind of see like the, the next step in these wheels in motion, like, like Jesus is here. And it's just a matter of time, 33 years from this point forward in history from what we read today, where the head of the serpent will be crushed as he's nailed to the cross. Herod may not fully understand how threatened his kingdom is. Right? Herod's, Herod's looking at the temporal and how, how temporally his kingdom is threatened. But really, the, the rule and reign of death and sin and evil is threatened far beyond Herod's kingdom. And, and the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent is now revealed. Like, he's here. The king of the Jews is here. And he was born in an out-of-the-way, unremarkable place in unremarkable circumstances. He's going to be raised in an out-of-the-way, unremarkable place, really coming from an unremarkable family. But he's going to go on, as we'll see as we make our journey through the book of Matthew, to do the most remarkable things that have ever been done in the most remarkable ways imaginable. And that God would choose to bring the, the king of the Jews on scene, not on a horse with a sword and a shield and in full power and full authority, but as a baby who can't do anything for himself yet, who needs to be fed, who needs to be changed, who needs to be cared for. That, that God would do that is kind of remarkable and unremarkable at the same time. And, and this, is our, 
This is our king. And this is what the Magi had figured out. I don't know how they knew what they knew other than just God revealing to them, but God revealed to these foreigners who Jesus was. They traveled a great journey at a great cost. And they came and worshipped at the feet of the king of the Jews. And they were the ones to recognize this long before the ethnic Israelites. I find that remarkable. And so what do we take from this? Again, we, we take that, that we have an established lineage of Jesus, his, his physical family tree. Right? Long, long before you know, 23 and me exist or things like that, right? it had to be some work to put together this, this lineage. And we have it. We have it so that we can know where Jesus came from. And, and as Pastor Brent pointed out, like Jesus' family tree, like it's not that impressive. Matter of fact, it's unimpressive in a lot of ways. There's some unimpressive people in Jesus' family tree, some very unlikely people. But now we also have this spiritual lineage of the prophets saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And every time, it happens. What the prophets said would happen, happened, right? And because their prophecies became fulfilled, we can look at those prophets and say they're, they're legit. Or if there was a, a prophet who made a prophecy maybe multiple prophecies, and they never came to pass, we could look at that and say, well, that's an illegitimate prophet, the guy that he's talking about. But, but we see the prophets of the Bible that every time what God spoke through them came to pass, including what we've read today. And so we can take that, again, just as another way that the Bible is showing us, that Matthew is showing us in his gospel account that this king of the Jews is legit, and that he is who we're told that he is, and he will go on to do the things that we're going to read about ultimately culminating in taking on the sin of the world, your sin and taking upon himself, becoming sin so that you and I, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, can become the righteousness of God. And these wheels are gaining some momentum as we go on. And so, so what do we take from Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 1 and 2 really is that, that Jesus is legit. This king of the Jews is legit. He's the real deal. And we have multiple ways to show that he is who he says he is. And we're going to make our way through the rest of the book of Matthew. And we're going to see Jesus' life and what he did. And we're going to have more evidence. The evidence is just going to continue to pile up as we make our way through the book that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did. And because that's true, then we can believe in him, and we can put our faith and our hope, not in the politics of our day, but in who Jesus is and what he did. Father, we're thankful for today, thankful for your word, thankful that we have this history to look back on of who you are. God, we're thankful that we have uh, the prophets uh, who have uh, foretold what would ultimately come to pass. We're thankful that we have uh, the physical lineage uh, of our Savior. But more than that, Father, we're thankful that you uh, have given us faith uh, to believe the truths of Scripture. And so I pray that as we continue to make our way uh, through this book, through this gospel account from Matthew, that you uh, would increase our faith, that you would uh, help us to believe in you more and more each week uh, as we uh, learn, as we study, as we grow uh, in our knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.